Well, today we come to one of my very favourite psalms. It's an unusual one, very short, but it's a great psalm. It commences fairly abruptly. On the mountain, of the, on the mountain stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. In history, Zion was another name for the mountain on which Jerusalem, and especially the temple in Jerusalem, was built. When the people settled in the Promised Land and King David came to rule over them was the only time when they were united as a whole nation, just under David and then Solomon, and then they divided up. Prior to that, they were under Saul, a united nation, but prior to that... It was just 12 tribes that were disconnected from each other. So only for those three kings, Saul, David, Solomon, was there ever a united Israel. And when King David became the king, Jerusalem was set up as the capital city for the whole nation. And under his son Solomon, the temple was built there in Jerusalem. Here then was the place that Deuteronomy had told the people that they should have, the place where each of the people would come once a year in order to worship Yahweh. It was not just simply the capital city, the the political centre of Israel, it was also the religious centre of Israel. It was the centre of Israel's worship. So the psalmist talks of it as the city of the holy mount, for it was the city of God. It was the place where God allowed his name to dwell. It was holy because it was his. It was not his because it was holy. He didn't look look around for a holy mountain somewhere and choose that one. It is holy because he's chosen that one to be holy, to be distinctively and separately his city. And the Lord loved this place in all of Israel, or Jacob as it's called in verse 2, because remember Jacob's name was changed to Israel. For it was the chosen spot to centre his rule, not just the king's rule, but God's rule in Israel. Of course, God doesn't dwell in a building. He dwells in heaven. The earth is but his footstool. There's no building you could ever have that could contain God. Uh, He's the Lord of heaven and earth, and not a city could contain God either. But this is the place where he allowed his name to be associated. It was Yahweh's city, just like this was Yahweh's nation. And this was the place where his people came to worship him. And so in verse 3 we read, Glorious things are spoken of you. It was the greatest city in Israel. It was the capital of Israel. It had the greatest buildings. It was the place where the temple stood, the most magnificent of temples, the magnificent temple that Solomon built. This was a great and glorious city, just as God is a great and glorious God. It was glorious because it was Yahweh's city, and Yahweh is glorious. But then in the psalm, in verse 4, there's a sudden and abrupt change when an announcement is made among the people. It's about the people born in Zion. Verse 4, Among those who name me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, Behold, Philistia, Tyre, Cush. This one was born there, they say, and of Zion it shall be said, This one was born in her, for the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records, as he registers the people, This one was born there. Uh, It seems strange to start talking about the nations. But then suddenly you have 
all the nations around about being mentioned. Uh, Rahab is the other name for Egypt. Cush is the other name for Ethiopia. And here we have not just the nations, but in a sense the old enemies of Israel. Egypt was the place that they were killed in slavery. Babylon was the one who conquered Zion and destroyed the city and the temple. Philistia is the very place where they never actually conquered. The Philistines were their inveterate enemies inside Palestine. Uh, Tyre was the capital city of the Phoenician Empire of untold trading wealth on the border, on the, on the coastline line of uh, Mediterranean. And Cush, Ethiopia, well, Ethiopia was the ends of the earth. You, you, what lay beyond Ethiopia was anybody's guess. But it's not really about the nations. Rather, it's about the individuals in the nations. It's about those who know him. Those who know God, verse 4, know Yahweh. Not just those who fear him, but more intimately those who know him. Is this the Jews who are in captivity in all the nations? Or is he talking about individuals of these nations, non-Jews, who know Yahweh? For he further identifies them as the ones born there, that is, born in Zion, you may be confused at the end of verse 4, but verse 5 makes it absolutely clear. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. It's about the individuals who were born in Zion. Not about the nations born in Zion, but the individuals in the nations who were born in Zion. And that can't be about historical individuals of Israel, for few of the Israelites were ever born in Jerusalem. Well, not even King David was born in Jerusalem. It's about the spiritual individuals, those whose home and mother were Zion, those whose citizenship was Zion. Many, many people had citizenship in Rome in the time of the New Testament, but they weren't born in Rome. They were born all over the Roman Empire. But if you had Roman citizenship, you were born in Rome effectively, symbolically, spiritually. That was the concept that you have. So we see citizenship of Zion is a citizenship that's described as being born there. Paul, in Acts 22, he was confronted by a Roman tribune and uh, Paul says, I'm a citizen of Rome. The Roman tribune said, well, how can you be a citizen of Rome, you being Jewish? How can you be a citizen of Rome? I've paid a lot of money to become a citizen of Rome. And Paul's answer was, I was born a citizen of Rome. Not that he came from Rome, but that was his citizenship. Your citizenship, in a sense, travels with you. Even when, even when you, you, you aren't there in the hometown, you still are the citizen of that town. And so this citizenship of Zion is being called born in Zion. It, it's not the nation that is born, but the individual scattered in all the nations. Individuals who know Yahweh and see Zion as their home. For the city of God is something that God, the Most High himself, has established. It is his city, and he's building it. He is choosing his citizens, those whose home, whose spiritual home, will be Zion, will be in the city of God. And so these individuals are all registered there by God himself. Verse 6, 
the Lord records as he registers the people this one was born in Zion this one was born there he has the birth register he has the book of life he's writing people's names into the book of life into the book of register of birth and as he writes them he writes in saying this one's born in Zion this one's born in Zion in other words this one is mine this one is part of my town, my country, my city, my family. And so we finish the psalm with another sudden break in verse 7 as we see the joy of Zion. Now we've no idea who the singers and dancers were or are. They're just symbols of people rejoicing and enjoying themselves. Now you can lament by song. And sing a sad song, especially if you're a country and western singer, that seems axiomatic that it's sad. But, as James puts it, if anybody is happy, let him sing praises to God. And so the singers and the dancers are rejoicing in the benefits of being in Zion. And they say, all my springs are in you. That's not the springs of the dancers to make them dance higher. That's the springs of water that we're talking about here. That is, all the water that I have, the water that cleanses me, the water that, 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 that slacks my, uh, my thirst, all my water is found there. Water is the usual biblical symbol for washing and for drinking and therefore for cleansing and for sustaining life. Water is the water of life. And so for the singers and the dancers, their joy is in Zion, for all their life is found there. All their springs are in Zion. Which takes us back then to verse 3, that glorious things are spoken of Zion, the city of God. If he's your God, if you know him as your God, if your name is registered in the book of life, if you've been born in Zion, then you will sing and you will dance, with, for all your springs will be found in Zion, and you will be speaking about the glory of God and the glory of the city of God of which you are a citizen. This is seen in the New Testament where Christians understand the glorious things of thee are spoken Zion city of our God. I love Sydney. I am an Australian, but I doubt it really. I'm really a Sydney sider. Uh, I know many of you come holiday times, what you want to do is get out of the city and go to the country. And some of you even want to retire in the country. Uh, it makes no sense to me at all. Sydney is, the, is where I'm a citizen of Sydney. The rest of Australia we put up with in order to provide for Sydney to be what really it matters. I love Sydney, always had. I think it's a magnificent city. I thought it was when I was a young man that I travelled all around the world that I discovered it was better in Sydney than anywhere else I ever came across. And I saw some great cities, but Sydney is a fantastic city. It's got wonderful climate, it's got wonderful freedoms and openness. As a city goes, it actually is very clean as a city. And it's got such terrific access to hills behind us, to, to the, the beaches before us, and the harbour running through it. And not just the harbour, but you know, there's Port Hacking, there's, there's Pitwater, there's, 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 this is a great city. It's a beautiful city. It has big enough to provide everything you need, small enough that you can still get around and live in it and don't get totally lost. I love Sydney. And I can tell you the glorious things of Sydney because I'm a proud Sydney sider. The city that you praise 
for its glory. Jerusalem, Zion, the city of God, that is the one that is actually greater and better and more marvellous for anything that means life itself comes from being in Zion. For your very existence and all the joys that you can have, all the satisfactions that you ever need are found by the fact that you are a Zionite, that you are somebody who lives born in the city of Zion because unlike Sydney, it is the city of God. For sadly, Sydney is a long way from God. And the things I love about Sydney are offset by the terrible materialism and the appalling degeneracy and the sadness of the people who live in such boredom and meaninglessness in what is one of the most beautiful places of the world to live in. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. For as Paul notes in Galatians 4, Jerusalem is our mother. But it's not Jerusalem in Palestine. It's Jerusalem that is above. That is our mother. For that is the one, the one in Palestine, that symbolises the true city of God, which is the heavenly city. Now we're doing a bit of Bible flipping. Let me give you the pages. Page 1161. 1161. 1161. Takes you to Galatians 4. Page 1000. 161. And this is a, for many people, strange and contorted argument of Paul's, but the point is there. Verse 21. Tell me, you desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labour. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Remember the story of Abraham? And how his wife Sarah had no children, how he took Hagar, his, his wife's handmaiden, and had Ishmael through her and the conflict that happened, and that God promised that in the end Sarah would have a son, Isaac, and through Isaac would come the promises of God. Well, notice how he sees slavery under the law, condemnation, that is like Jerusalem in Palestine. Jerusalem on the earth, the present Jerusalem. But the Jerusalem that is God's people's Jerusalem is the heavenly Jerusalem. It wasn't only the New Testament people who knew that the Palestinian Jerusalem wasn't the true Zion. It wasn't only they who were searching for the heavenly Jerusalem. Come across to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, it's page 1200, 1200. It's a little easier to see in Hebrews. 
1,200, I'll pick it up from verse 13. It's the great passage about faith and living by faith. These, talking about Abraham and the like, these all died in faith, verse 13, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would, not have, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And as Abraham, you see, he left Ur and went to the promised land. But he didn't settle in the promised land. He didn't own any of the promised land. He always kept moving on and on because he was looking for a heavenly city, not an earthly one. You can see it back in verse 10 of the same chapter. Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And as the Old Testament people of God, they knew that Palestine wasn't the promised land, that Jerusalem wasn't the city of God, that Palestine and Jerusalem are but symbols of the true promised land of heaven and of the true city of God, which is in heaven. And that's what we have when we come to the gospel. Turn over the page to chapter 12, verse 22, Hebrews 12, 22. When it talks about we have come to something, and we have come to the assembly, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel was killed by Cain. God confronts Cain and he says, I hear the blood of Abel crying for justice. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cries for mercy. It cries a better cry than the cry of Abel. And what we've come to in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. Dead and risen from the dead and seated to the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. And so we've come to Zion to Mount Zion, but the Mount Zion that we've come to is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's our Jerusalem. Palestine you may want to go and visit sometime. It's an interesting place. It's the place where Jesus walked when he was here on earth. But it's not where Jesus lives now. And it's not where Christians live. And it's not where we're going to live. Palestine of today has actually no biblical significance other than its historical significance. For the true Palestine, the true promised land, the true heavenly city, the true city is the heavenly one. That is the Mount Zion. This is the true Zion and the true city of God, the one described in Revelation 21 and 22 as coming down out of heaven for us, where God's people will live with him forever. They will be his people, he will be their God. And there will be no temple building there because God is there all the time. God and the Lamb are the temple. For the city of God 
is the place where all our needs are going to be truly met and where our springs of cleansing water will satisfy our thirst forever. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, we're invited to come to God and drink. Drink the water of life. In Ezekiel 47, there's a wonderful, strange passage there, a prophecy of the new temple, because Ezekiel was writing at the time of the Babylonian captivity when the temple had been destroyed, and he talks about a new temple being built in Jerusalem. And out under the door, the main door of the temple, will be a, a stream, a trickle of water, that as you go down the stream gets bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper and wider and wider as it goes out into the world and brings life to everything it touches, to the, the, the creatures in the sea, the fish and the like, and to the vegetation beside the river. It brings life for all. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, if you remember. He has nothing to draw the water from, and he asks her for water. And she speaks to him, and he says that he has water, the water of life, that if you drink my water, you will never thirst again. Those of us in Sunday school and beach mission days would know you're supposed to say at that point, what, never thirst again? And the answer is no, never thirst again. You will never thirst again if you drink of my water, for I give the water of life. Once drunk, never thirst again. In John chapter 7, Jesus stands up on the last day of a great feast and pours out water and he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When Jesus is glorified in his death and resurrection, he will pour his Spirit into his people. And as he pours his Spirit into his people, his people will not be able to contain his Spirit. It will bubble in up from us and flow out to others. And so our springs will be full and overflowing. My cup is full and overflowing, was another childhood beach mission song. Running over, running over, my cup is full and overflowing. Because the water of life cannot be contained in one human being. It pours out to those around about. But it comes in Jesus. And when we come to the heavenly city in Revelation 21 and 22... Well, chapter 22 starts, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. When you get to the city of God, there is the river of life constantly giving us all that we could possibly need of life itself. And it's to the nations in particular this life comes. And so in the epistle of the Paul to the Ephesians and in his letter to the Philippians, you find that the Gentiles are the citizens of heaven, the citizens together with the Israelites, the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
All of which brings me to the great hymn writer John Newton. Now we know of John Newton because he wrote Amazing Grace, which is widely known as the most widely known hymn, most likely in the world. But amongst Christians, there's another one that we know, the non-Christians don't know nearly as well. And it's terrific. It's on the back of your outline. Five verses of it, five stanzas of it there. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. And it's based here on Psalm 87. Now, there's a controversy about the last verse, verse 5. Uh, many of the editions of your hymn books will have Saviour if of Zion City. Uh, my research, as best I can work out, is that uh, uh, Newton wrote Saviour since of Zion City because he wasn't in any doubt that he was a member of Zion City, as we shouldn't be either, and it's certainly theologically better to write since. And so if ever I say a hymn book with if, I always cross it out and write in since. Uh, and if I've got a good hymn book, it has since rather than if, because there's no doubt about it. Uh, there's a couple of verses here, verses 3 and 4, that we don't normally sing in most hymn books. It's not there, but it was part of the original. I think they moved out of most hymn books because they move slightly away from Psalm 87 onto other issues. But they are completely consistent with Psalm 87. Here's an appropriate Christian reading of Psalm 87. For the rock upon which the city is founded is the rock of ages. And being a citizen of this city... We have nothing to fear. I read glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee of his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's wall surrounded, thou must smile at all thy foes. We have nothing to fear if we're the citizens of the city of God. Just as out of this city will come the streams of living water providing all that we need, the water of life that mean we never need to thirst again. Verse 2, see the streams of living water springing from, it should be, eternal love. Well supply thy sons and daughters and all fear of want remove. Who can faint when such a river ever flows their thirst to assuage? Grace, which like the Lord the giver never fails from age to age. The next stanza refers to the Exodus and God's provision for his people there. Round each habitation hovering, see the cloud and fire appear for a glory and a covering, showing that the Lord is near. Thus they march, their pillar leading, light by night, shade by day, daily on the manna feeding which he gives them when they pray. It's an Exodus account. And quite appropriate because it's the sense of God living with us, which is what the tabernacle was all about. But it moves slightly from the psalm. Verse 4 is also slightly different from the psalm, but again, the principles are the same. Blessed inhabitants of Zion, takes us back to the city, washed in the Redeemer's blood, Jesus, whom their souls rely on, makes them kings and priests of God. To his love his people raises over self to reign as kings and as priests his solemn praises each for a thank offering brings. It comes from Revelation chapter 5 and what we have when we come to the city of God is the lamb who has washed us clean in his blood and more than that made us kings and priests. And so blessed inhabitants of Zion is that leads us then to the final verse which we do read and which takes us straight back into the psalm. Saviour, since of Zion city, 
I, through grace, am member. I wasn't born in Jerusalem. I was born in Sydney. I was born in the back streets of King's Cross. Or Potts Point, if you want to say it nicely or poorly. It depends where you want to say which side of the road I was born on. But I was born by grace into the city of God. Saviour, since of Zion's city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity. I will glory in thy name. Fading is the world's worldly's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys, lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. For here is our only and our true boast. Yes, when I go overseas, I boast of Sydney. Yes, I'm willing to speak up for Sydney any time because I actually think it's the best. But ultimately, my boast is not Sydney. My boast is Zion. I was born in Zion. And the world may laugh and it may scorn, it may deride, but I was born in Zion. And the world may pride itself on its wealth and its power and its influence and its strength, but I was born in Zion. I would prefer to be born in Zion than to be born in any palace, any kingdom, any place in this world. There is nothing I desire more than to be born in Zion. There is nothing that gives me greater satisfaction than having been born in Zion. This is what matters over and above all other things. I was born in Zion. Martin Luther was a man who went through terrible times, threatened by, by execution, threatened if he was caught by the emperor, by the pope's men to be killed, threatened as many people have uh, been over the years for standing for the truth. He wrote a great Reformation hymn, a mighty fortress is our God, which has got a terrific last verse with which I conclude before I pray. For he says, Though they take our life, goods, honour, children, wife, yet is their profit small. For these things shall vanish all, but the city of God remaineth. There is no greater boast than to be born by the grace of God in Zion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this lovely psalm. We thank and praise you, Father, that you are the one who writes the register of the people born in Zion. We praise you, Father, for the privileges of being the citizens of your city. We pray that each one of us here might know that we have been born in Zion. For we know you as our Father and Jesus as our Lord. Our sins washed clean by his blood and our life sustained by his spirit. And Father, as citizens of Zion, we pray that we may ever boast in you and in that citizenship that you have given to us and that we will not be afraid and we will not envy those whose citizenship is in a city of this world, however great it may be. For we know that we are yours, born in Zion. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.